Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.40 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 1st of February, 2022, and this is episode 537 of Bitcoin and BTC Minstrel. That's at BTC Minstrel brings you the knowledge of an amazing website, liar.com. <clears throat> that's right, lying. You lying sack, liar.com. And where does it redirect to? The Wikipedia page for Justin Trudeau. <laughs> I can only imagine that Michael Saylor bought Liar.com back in the day. God only knows if he owns it now. It doesn't really matter because whoever does own Liar.com is going to get some amazing numbers over the next few days. Uh, keep that going uh, on Twitter, Liar.com, L. IAR.com. Again, that's BTC Minstrel bringing you that little nugget. Now, El Salvador. I always try to start with El Salvador. I try not to start with Scott Cipollina because he really doesn't like Bitcoin. Why he's writing for Decrypt, I don't know. But El Salvador fires back at the IMF amid Bitcoin row. The government of El Salvador has responded to the International Monetary's Fund recommendation to drop the use of Bitcoin as legal tender per the Associated Press, quote, no international organization is going to make us do anything, anything at all, Treasury Minister Alejandro Zelaya said, adding on a local television station that Bitcoin as legal tender was an issue of sovereignty for El Salvador. Zelaya's response is the latest in a series of spats between the Salvadoran government led by President and Bitcoin advocate Nayib Bukele and the IMF. El Salvador's tense relationship with the IMF began last summer when the international organization said the country's Bitcoin embraces, uh, embrace raised a number of macroeconomic, financial, and legal issues. Quote, crypto assets can pose Significant risks and effective regulatory measures are very important when dealing with them, IMF spokesperson Jerry Rice added. Despite the IMF's stance, El Salvador moved ahead with Bukele's plan to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, which occurred in September of 2021. As El Salvador entered September 2021, the country's Congress approved a $150 million fund that was designed to help facilitate transactions between the U.S. dollar and Bitcoin. Once again, the IMF was not impressed. Quote, <clears throat> privately issued crypto assets like Bitcoin come with substantial risks, making them equivalent to a national currency is an inadvisable shortcut, the IMF tweeted <clears throat> as it reiterated its original position shared earlier in the summer. Now I'm going to pause there to say this. Bitcoin was not privately issued. If it was privately issued, it would have a board of governors, it would have a board of directors, it would have like a CEO, it would have all kinds of shit that you would normally associate with a quote-unquote private company. None of this is the case. Bitcoin is a public currency. I say that again. Bitcoin is a public currency for the public good. There is nothing private whatsoever about it. And the fact that the IMF doesn't get that means... They don't understand the beast that they are trying to battle. And one of the worst things that you can do is not understand your enemy when you go to fight said enemy. They're going to lose this and they're going to lose big time. Just earlier this month, the IMF raised the El Salvador Bitcoin flag for a third time, arguing that adopting Bitcoin as legal tender entails large risks for financial and market integrity, financial stability, and consumer protection. It also can create contingent liabilities. This third warning came amid fears that El Salvador's Bitcoin purchases added unwarranted risk to the country's already concerning sovereign debt credit outlook. So, yeah, 
As you can imagine, the IMF just trying to do everything that they can to stop this. And I don't think it's going to work. So the only thing that they're going to be able to do is not give El Salvador the $1.5 billion uh, loan that that is in contingency amid all this mess. I mean, they were they were in talks with El Salvador for this $1.5 billion IMF loan before, okay, this ha- all this happened before the whole Bitcoin law, before Naib Bukele made the announcement, before anybody knew anything at all about Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador, other than the guys over at Bitcoin Beach, <clears throat> the IMF had a deal on the table with El Salvador to loan them an ass load of money that was basically going to cause them to be debt slaves for the rest of their natural born existence. Luckily, Naib Bukele is not taken is that he's not taking that bait, although he's keeping them at the uh, negotiation table for much longer than I thought he'd be able to or that he would. I kind of don't get it. I don't know if it's like he's playing 4D chess or some shit like that. But be that as it may, they are still talking about this $1.5 billion loan. I hope El Salvador does not need it, does not want it, and tells IMF to basically piss off. Because once they take that loan, man, there's so many problems that are going to ensue from that. And I'm not sure if El Salvador has already taken IMF loans. I just assume that they have. And trying to extinguish that debt will be, uh, (laughs) that'll be a work in progress. Kanye West says no to NFTs. It's a blow for the NFT space as Kanye West, or Yee, lashes out against the tokens in an Instagram post. Joseph Hall tells us a little bit more from Cointelegraph. Kanye West will not be purchasing a Bored Ape Yacht Club non-fungible token anytime soon. In a strongly worded Instagram post made on Monday, Yee stated, quote, Do not ask me to do a fucking NFT. The message in the photo shared with his 10.5 million followers, I'm surprised he doesn't have more, explains he is focused on building real products in a real world. He didn't mince words in a follow-up comment to the Instagram post. And here is a picture of a handwritten note in what appears to be Sharpie. My focus is on building real products in the real world, real food, real clothes, real shelter. Do not ask me to do a fucking NFT. Yee, ask me later. That last part bugs me. It really does. Um, So, no, no, let's finish this up. Quote, oh, never mind. He already said that. Whereas celebrities including Neymar, Eminem, and Jake Paul, who made cash grabs for NFTs back in 2021, the billionaire and former presidential candidate Kanye West is categorically in opposition to the virtual tokens. Kanye West grows, uh, joins a growing list of NFT skeptics, including uh, celebrities such as Keanu Reeves. Movie star Reeves joked in an interview for The Matrix Resurrections that NFTs are easily reproduced. Unlike Reeves, a character Neo who is trapped in The Matrix, Yi will continue to work on real products in the real world. West album Donda 2 is scheduled for release on February the 22nd. Meanwhile, NFT fans will wonder how Yi could be so heartless. Oh, poor freaking NFT fans. So back to the note where he says, ask me later. The hell does that mean? You know, I mean, Kanye has a tendency sometimes to be kind of cryptic, but this one, you know, kind of, it, it, it seems to me that Kanye is thinking along the following lines. Right now, NFTs are bullshit. Off in the future, they may actually have some kind of value, but not in the way that they are being done right now. A board ape is not going to have any value later on. They're all, oh God, I was about to say they're all going to go to zero, but I sound like that one of many Bitcoin skeptics, so I'll, I'll just ditch that one for now. But it looks to me like ye see something in NFT's potential. And honestly, I do too, but nowhere, none of the landscape right now is anything remotely resembling something that, that I would find valuable except as I'd usually say, objects that you use inside of video games, maybe, okay, maybe. That's the closest that I've seen so far that comes, that actually demonstrates some kind of value, but you know, 
We'll have to see what Kanye does next. Who knows? Hackers move $3.55 billion worth of Bitcoin from the 2016 Bitfinex hack. Omkar Godbull has this one from Coindesk. Large amounts of Bitcoin stolen from the cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex six years ago. God, I can't believe it's been that long. They were moved by hackers early on Tuesday. Quote, so far this morning, 94,643.29 Bitcoin worth $3.55 billion have been moved in 23 transactions from a wallet associated with a theft from Bitfinex in 2016 to a new address. Blockchain analytics firm Ecliptic said these originate from a theft surrendered by Bitfinex in 2016, the firm added, quote, it is unlikely that these funds will be cashed out anytime soon. Funds from this hack have been slowly laundered over five years now and cashing out large volumes over a short period of time would draw unwanted attention, Elliptic said. The number of Bitcoins transferred amounted to 79% of the total 119,756 Bitcoin drained from Bitfinex in 2016, which was one of the largest Bitcoin hacks to date. Twitter account Whale Alert had earlier reported on this development saying that bad actors transferred 10,000 Bitcoin worth more than 383 million to an unknown wallet during Asian hours on Tuesday. Hackers last moved the stolen Bitcoin in April of 2021, transferring over $700 million worth of coins to unknown wallets during the bull frenzy brought on by the crypto exchange Coinbase's then impending listing on NASDAQ. According to Elliptic, the funds were laundered through darknet markets like Hydra and privacy-focused Wasabi Wallet. Igor Data, CEO of Geneva-based Blinn Analytics and Hydra and Wasabi, might be used again. Quote, Hydra breaks the link between the incident and further transactions, and Wasabi Wallet provides the necessary level of anonymization. It provides anonymity, including the ability to hide the connection not only to Bitfinex hack, but also to Hydra, Data said in a LinkedIn chat. Quote, the hackers obviously use the automation tools to reduce the chance of error, which could lead to the hackers being caught. End quote. A movement of malicious funds usually raises suspicions of bad actors looking to cash out and spook markets. As noted in April of last year, most of the Bitcoin associated with Bitfinex hack is widely tracked and blacklisted. Thus, hackers will have a rough time cashing out on prominent centralized exchanges. In other words, the latest movement of the hack coins presents little downside risk to Bitcoin. At press time, the cryptocurrency was trading largely unchanged on the day at $38,500. So, okay, if they're all blacklisted and no anonymity tools are going to work for this shit, then what is a hacker to do? And it appears to me that they might actually end up with great success. Yay, Borat, great success by using them in third world countries uh, to exchange for the local currency to then again buy like, I don't know, you know, un, uh, unblacklisted Bitcoin on other exchanges. And honestly, I mean, I don't like hackers. I don't like it when people get their Bitcoin stolen, you know, and Bitfinex did, from what I understand, Bitfinex did make all of the people that were affected whole and not by fiat currency, they just replaced the Bitcoin. So I, you know, that's, if all the people that got stolen from were made whole and the hackers used the Bitcoin to disperse amongst third world nations, in which case it would be much, much more difficult, in my opinion, for blacklisted Bitcoin to be seen as being exchanged, then it would if they sent, I mean, they're not gonna send it over to Coinbase, right? They're going to, you know, maybe they, they send it to Nigeria. Maybe they send it to, you know, not South Africa, but like any, any one of the other, you know, lots of African nations that just aren't being watched that much. And that's what I expect to have happened. Latin America, Central America, Africa, and Eastern Europe are probably going to end up with those coins. Again, that's just my opinion. Bitcoin whales buy at $38,000 as BTC supply per whale hits a 10-year high. William Suberg has it for Cointelegraph. Bitcoin jumping to $39,000 has already activated large volume investors this week, the latest data shows. 
Analyzing whale behavior on-chain monitoring resource WhaleMap revealed accumulation underway at levels above $36,000. Identifying clusters of whale bids, WhaleMap uncovered what appears to be renewed market confidence among those with some of the largest BTC balances between 100 BTC and 10,000 BTC. Quote, recent prices triggered whales to accumulate Bitcoin, researchers summarized on Twitter on Tuesday. According to cluster data, whales now own 330,000 BTC bought at spot prices between $36,000 and $38,000. That's a lot of accumulation, yo. Overall, the portion of the BTC supply per whale wallet is now at its highest in 10 years. Data from on-chain analytics firm Glassnode uploaded to Twitter by popular account priced in Bitcoin shows this comes despite the vastly larger Bitcoin user base compared to the largest cryptocurrencies in early days. <clears throat> Trader and analyst William Clemente, meanwhile, described last week's whale activity as fairly heavy buying. The results run in contrast to a decreasing buying trend, which began in the second half of January. As Cointelegraph reported, exchanges returned to seeing greater outflows than inflows in recent weeks, despite spot price action putting in lower lows. In the past few days, however, exchanges, exchange users have conversely sent BTC to their accounts as BTC has risen to its highest levels in two weeks. The 21 platforms monitored by on-chain analytics firm CryptoQuant saw their balance increase from 2.35 million BTC on January the 29th to 2.37, so not that much, a million BTC on January the 31st, the latest date for which uh, data is currently available. Whales may not actively use exchanges for larger buys, particularly if they are in a position to perform over-the-counter trades or purchase coins directly from the miners. So, in a in a round of confusion that I'm having about Bitcoin price and all these you know supposed whales accumulating, um, I have to just wonder what the hell's going on with the price. If I mean, I really don't like using the term manipulation in the Bitcoin markets, but I gotta call a spade a spade. And the there's only one way to really manipulate markets. Well, actually, there's two ways to manipulate markets: being a massive whale that just dumps all at once and see on on public exchanges and signals that they don't want this shit anymore and it crashes the price that's one way the other way i think is the futures market and in the united states we now have five and i think there's two more on the table futures etfs on bitcoin i i just <laughs> It just seems to me that derivative products are purpose-built to manipulate the market of whatever asset they are for, whether it's real estate, gold, silver, Bitcoin, you know, shitcoin one, shitcoin two, shitcoin three, whatever. I believe that futures, ET, futures markets, ETFs, and all that kind of stuff, unless they're spot ETFs, are in intent on manipulating markets. And I think, honestly, that's what we've been seeing. But I get the feeling that it's a short-term play so that their friends can get in. I, do I have any proof? Absolutely not. I have zero proof on that shit. So you got to take everything that I say on manipulation of Bitcoin with a grain of salt. That's really important. I don't know. It just seems to me that this is somehow, it feels artificial. It feels different this time. Of course, then again, we're always going to say, well, this time it's different, right? Well, whatever. Meta joins Patent Alliance, pledges free crypto patents for all, <laughs> much to the chagrin of Craig Wright. Arnold Kirimi is writing it for Cointelegraph. The Crypto Open Patent Alliance, or COPA, has welcomed Meta as a member with the social media giants vowing to make its core crypto patents accessible to everyone. Meta, formerly Facebook, has joined the COPA, a group that advocates for public patents on crypto and blockchain-related technologies. On Monday, the organization published a statement announcing Meta and noting that Shane O'Reilly would be its representative. 
By joining COPA, Meta will become one of the 30 other businesses committed to not enforcing their core cryptocurrency patents. The general manager of COPA, Max Sills, describes core cryptocurrency patents as any technology that allows the creation, mining, storage, transmission, settlement, integrity, or security of cryptocurrencies. By forming an association and requiring member firms to contribute their patents to a collective patent library, COPA hopes to stimulate blockchain innovation by lowering the risk of patent litigation by the likes of Craig Wright. <laughs> no, I added that. Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter, commended the development on Twitter, stating that this is great. Dorsey has declared several times that the crypto market is best served when everyone's interests are accommodated and not just those of the wealthy. For years, Meta's interest in the cryptocurrency market has been obvious. The decision to join COPA follows Meta's Diem project officially shutting down. Meta is also reportedly selling the project to Silvergate Bank for $200 million. In addition, Meta also owns Novi, a digital wallet company that was formerly known as Calibra and was started as part of the project named Libra, which is now Diem. Last year, COPA sued Australian Craig Wright, better known for his widely disputed claim to be the inventor of Bitcoin over his attempts to copyright the Bitcoin white paper, an issue that has plagued the crypto community for years. Honestly, it's not a plague. Nobody gives a shit. I've got the, I've got the Bitcoin white paper up on my Substack. I, it, and like, it's not, it's not hidden whatsoever. It says Bitcoin white paper. <laughs> as the header of, of, of the new, of that particular newsletter. Um, it's, it's amazing. However, I want to go and look at this, uh, officially shutting down, uh, uh, story Helen parts again for coin telegraph. This was six hours ago. Meta, formerly branded as Facebook, has initially or officially announced the closure of its digital currency project Diem after years of major efforts to move forward with the initiative. Announcing the news on Monday, yesterday, DM CEO Stuart Levy confirmed that Meta is selling intellectual property and other assets related to the DM stablecoin project to its Silvergate Capital Corporation. The DM Association and its subsidiaries will start winding down operations over the coming weeks, Levy said. The association, however, is still confident that DM's ideals will continue to thrive even after Meta officially terminated its involvement in the project, the CEO noted. Quote, we remain confident in the potential for a stablecoin operating on a blockchain designed like DM's to deliver the benefits that motivated the DM Association from the beginning. With today's sale, Silvergate will be well-placed to take this vision forward. End quote. According to an official announcement by Silvergate, the company will purchase assets of Diem for the aggregate value of $182 million. What assets do they have is my question here. My God. Quote, as part of integrating the acquired assets into Silvergate's existing technology, Silvergate expects to incur approximately $30 million of additional costs in 2022. Specifically, Silvergate Bank, a subsidiary of Silvergate and Meta's stablecoin partner, will integrate its payment platform, the Silvergate Exchange Network, with DM's assets. The new combination will help the bank launch a next-generation global payment system that is faster, easier to use, and more cost-effective than existing solutions. Oh, joy, here we go. Quote, we identified a need for a U.S. dollar-backed stablecoin that is regulated and highly scalable to further enable them to move money without barriers. It remains our intention to satisfy that need by launching a stablecoin in 2022, Silvergate CEO Alan Lane said. So watch out, here it comes. Meta officially introduced this digital currency project back in 2019, originally called Libra, and included a foundation of top global companies like MasterCard, PayPal, Visa, eBay, and others. Uh, there was a massive global regulatory pushback. A lot of those guys left, <clears throat> like PayPal, MasterCard, they all bailed. Um, and then they just got it, it. Next thing you know, the Android that is Mark Zuckerberg was on the Capitol Hill answering questions and drinking water in a very painful way it seems <clears throat> and i guess they just lost their i guess they just lost their uh, appetite for moving this forward but the specter of this crap lives on with silvergate bank we'll have to see what they do so dm officially shutting down <sighs> i'm gonna say this is good for bitcoin 
Uh, let's see here. Bitcoin shows that trust in the government and the gold standard is not necessary. Stanislav Kozlovsky, Kozlovsky has it for Bitcoin Magazine. It has been more than 50 years since the Nixon shock. August 15th, 1971, when President Nixon went on national television to announce the historic change that the U.S. dollar would no longer be pegged to gold. That was supposed to be temporary, guys. And it wasn't. Perhaps a few people knew how tremendous of a decision that was at the time, and fewer people realized the vast consequences and second-order effects such an action would have. Regardless, it happened. And we're here 51 years later in 2022. The rise of fiat currency did not start in 1971. It was brewing for decades earlier with the real catalyst being World War I. Fiat currencies along with taxes have a history of being linked with war. Gold constricts what governments can do with money. If your money is pegged to gold, you cannot profit from seniorage, a useful tool in any government's toolbox, especially when you're going to war. It is a reasonable claim to make that the fiat currency system was mainly introduced to fund war. This was evident by how most countries had immediately paused their gold standard when entering World War I. As another example, take the U.S. Civil War, where we also saw a similar temporary suspension. In the past, it was accepted that the standard could be temporarily suspended in times of crisis, but was expected to be restored again as soon as possible. And so it was. But throughout this period, another crisis emerged, the Great Depression. That forced the United States to perform one of its most draconian acts in history, the Emergency Banking Act, which outlawed the personal possession of gold and forced all Americans to, to convert their gold, coins, bullion, and certificates into United States dollars at a price of $20.67 per ounce at the time. It was argued that the free circulation of gold was unnecessary and was only essential for payment of international trade balances. Quote, we have gold because we cannot trust governments, end quote, President Herbert Hoover. In 1944, the United States and 43 other countries met in Bretton Woods to decide on a new reserve currency order. The result was a quasi-gold standard where the United States dollar was picked as the world's reserve currency. Every world currency had a fixed rate to the dollar, and the dollar itself had a fixed rate to gold. This time, the price was $35 an ounce, already showing a 40% devaluation in the dollar's purchasing power. And then we arrive in 1971, when President Richard Nixon closed the gold window after announcing that the United States would no longer convert dollars into gold. It's worth noting that, like many other governments' promises, this was initially supposed to only be temporary, but by 1976, it was officially stamped. During the same decade, gold experienced a huge surge from $35 per ounce to $850 per ounce. This chart shows a rough view of the devaluation of fiat currency. And yeah, the, it's a graph. And it, guess what? It goes up and to the right. <clears throat> With such a crooked history full of manipulation and lies, can anybody blame free market participants for opting out from a corrupt government-controlled scheme and choosing a superior monetary system like Bitcoin? Worse off, even the above chart cannot solely be trusted. Entities are famously suspected and also proven to have manipulated the price of gold through the use of derivatives, rehypothecation, and other means. Note that this is not unprecedented in any way, as even central banks have been historically known to influence the price, as is the case with England's central bank. The consequences. So the consequences of abandoning the gold standard are multifold, but can succinctly be described by a massive rise of three effects. One, centralized control. Two, government spending and consequently government size. Three, you guessed it, inflation. And here is the 1971 cost of living uh, sheet. You can find these as birthday cards and all kinds of all kinds of stuff. Like when, like basically, it was when you were born, a house cost what? Well, if you were born in 1971, a new house averaged $25,200. The average income was $10,622 per year. A new car would set you back $3,500. Average rent, $150 a month. Tuition to Harvard University was only $2,600. A movie ticket, a buck fifty. Gasoline, 40 cents a gallon. 
United States postage stamp, eight cents. Under the category of food, sugar was 62 cents for a five pound bag. A gallon of milk was a buck seventeen. Ground coffee was a dollar a pound. Bacon was eighty cents a pound. Eggs was fifty cents a dozen. Fresh ground hamburger was sixty-two cents a pound. Now you're paying like six fifty, seven bucks, you know, nine in some places. And bread was a quarter of a dollar a loaf. As well as other second-order effects like the rich-poor divides substantially increasing, the median person becoming poorer or the rise in high time preference thinking. The solution presented itself in Bitcoin. As a superior alternative to gold, it, most importantly, greatly improved upon the portability and verifiability aspect of a store of value. These two properties that largely held gold behind by leading to its centralization and subsequent failure as the base layer of the global monetary system. However, despite gold demise, the first principle thinking that made sense for gold to serve as money still remain. Our productivity is rewarded with money and any excess productivity that we cannot immediately spend, we save in the form of money. Money can therefore be looked at as stored human time and energy linked to what is your most scarce resource, energy and your time left to live. So in conclusion, since 1971, we've lived in humanity's greatest monetary experiment. While it has not yet led to catastrophic events, the way monetary policy is evolving has us understandably wary of the possibility of such. There are many reasons to believe that the trajectory we are on right now is either neither healthy for the prosperity of humanity nor sustainable. The return to a sound money standard as well as a subsequent evolution to a sound finance standard promises to lead the world toward a better financial future for all and this is something that every human can and should proudly stand behind. In nine, sorry, in 2009, we saw a light at the end of the tunnel. While prior to that year, we could only commemorate anniversaries of the Nixon shock with mixed feelings, today we can observe the date with a newfound hope. Yep, I agree. Let's run the numbers. Shiny metal rocks up, flammable liquids down, oil, West Texas Intermediate down 0.82% to $87.43, Brent North Sea down 0.69 of a percentage point to $88.64, natural gas as usual taking the largest hit, almost three full percentage points to the downside going to $4.73.5 per thousand cubic feet, gasoline down half a point to $2.54 a gallon. Um, uh, little, let's pause there for a second. It is, was all over the news the day before yesterday and yesterday that oil is like there were people speculating about $100 oil. Um, it was all over the news. All right, if, you, if you weren't like looking at news, then you probably didn't see it and that was the only way that you didn't hear about it. But other than that, if you had anything to do with looking at the markets yesterday, you saw everybody, and, and the day before, you saw everybody and their dog talking about, we could see $100 oil if X, Y, and Z happens. And all of a sudden today, you get a price depression. Oh, could that be manipulation in the markets? Because I guarantee you, the people that are interested in oil want it to go to 100 and, and they want it to go as, as high up as they possibly can. But when the population of the world gets wind that they're going to be paying more for energy, uh, that doesn't play very well. Uh, it doesn't play very well, especially coming up in, in an election year. So I'm just saying, is it possible that there's a little bit of artificial price suppression to take the steam out of the uh, price of oil going up so that it doesn't look so bad coming into the midterm elections? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, gold, like I said, shiny metal rocks are all doing well today. Gold is up a quarter of a point, breaking $1,800. Silver up 1.37%, $22.70. Platinum is up three quarters of a point. Copper rallying big time, two and a quarter points to the upside. Palladium is up 0.2. Agricultural futures are mostly up with soybeans leading the way at 1.53% to the upside. 
wheat up almost a full point, sugar up over a point, and coffee is 1.4% to the upside. The only loser today is cotton, down half a point. Dow futures is going to be down a third of a point. S&P futures down two-thirds of a point. NASDAQ futures down 1.1%, and S&P mini is down almost a full percentage point. But we got better fish to fry. Real money is at $38,458. transactions performed in the last 24 hours is just shy of 12,000 transactions every hour on the hour with a mere 786,000 BTC being sent in that 24-hour period. That's 32,750 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 2.79 BTC, a median transaction value back up to 0.016 BTC or $628. Block times are hideously low, 8 minutes and 47 seconds. Gee, can you imagine what happened? 0.08 BTC uh, taken in fees on a per block basis. 14 BTC taken in fees overall in the past 24 hours. And with a 0.92 percentage uh, hash rate rise, we are up to 193.2 exahashes per second. Uh, Dog coin, 14.2 United States pennies. So that's your shit coin indicator. 8,000 transactions are waiting on five blocks to clear. Market capitalization is 727.1 billion, which is now over six. 0.1% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 21.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,945,904 in circulation. And 3,389.6 of those are locked up in the Lightning Network, valued at $130 million, being run over 19,891 nodes with 85,358 payment channels. 76.4% of it all is being run over Tor, handling 2,590 BTC and 11,465 Tor nodes that we know about from the Lightning Network, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use and um, breaking <laughs> as of, oh God, just a few minutes ago, Wendy Rogers, uh, uh, one of the state representatives or senators out of Arizona, she's the one that's putting forth that quote unquote Bitcoin as legal tender bill. And I said it yesterday, it's not really legal tender. It's just allows the Arizona gov state government to take Bitcoin for everything that it takes uh, fiat currency for. Well, she's fallen immediately <clears throat> into shit coinery. It's amazing, amazing how fast they get completely wrecked, right? So here's the tweet. Where are the Ethereum people? Is it better than Cardano and Avalanche? Why? Hashtag ETH, hashtag ADA, hashtag AVAX. Uh, it's, uh, I said it before about when when somebody wants to attack their supposed enemy and they know nothing about their enemy, they're going to get their ass handed to them. The same thing is true about making friends. When you know nothing about the friend that you want to approach and form a relationship with, you're going to get your ass handed to you. And Wendy Rogers out of Arizona has just gotten her ass handed to her. Make sure that she understands uh, that Bitcoin is really the only way to go on this one. That's at Wendy Rogers, A-Z, all one word. And this is a perfect segue into this one. The Zen of knowing that your opinion on Bitcoin doesn't matter. Bitcoin Magazine's Tomer Strolite tells us more. Bitcoin doesn't care about your opinion or mine, and neither do the world's leaders. You also may not care about my opinion, and you don't need to, but here it is anyway. It's my opinion that the fact that Bitcoin doesn't care about our opinions is a very good thing. And it's also my opinion that the fact that the world's leaders don't care about our opinion is not a good thing. How can I declare it good when Bitcoin does one thing and bad when our leaders do the same? This is because of two other very important facts. The first is that the world leaders do care about their own opinions, and so their opinion, opinions do matter when ours don't. 
The second is that although Bitcoin doesn't care about yours or my opinion, it also doesn't give a single flying fluff about our world's leaders' opinions either. At the end of the day, that's what, make, what makes Bitcoin so awesome. The great dream of democracy was that our opinions mattered, yours and mine. But let's face it, they don't. Seriously, think about it for a second. It's kind of silly to imagine that the world would or should care about your opinion. In fact, it's pretty arrogant. Who are you to have an opinion matter when there's 7.7 billion other people out there with their own opinions? Don't be mad at them. None of their opinions matters either. Not unless they happen to be one of those leaders who gets to make the rules and change them. And there's no one even to blame, including those leaders. It's not like our leaders could somehow actually manage the whole massive economic, industrial, agriculture, military, political complex around your opinion, never mind everyone else's, even if they wanted to. All I'm trying to say is don't be upset that your opinion doesn't matter. Accept it. You'll find a lot more peace in that. Think of all the pointless arguments you'd avoid if you kept your opinion to yourself. When we first realize that our opinions don't matter, we can get quite irate. But let's not despair. We have a solution to this problem, and that solution isn't to figure out how to get a few more people's opinions to matter. The solution is, surprisingly, to make sure that nobody's opinion matters. Once again, Bitcoin comes to the rescue to solve a seemingly unsolvable problem with an unimaginably creative fix. It just says, you humans go ahead and have all the opinions that you want. I don't want to hear about it. And that's that. That's pretty good. Like a stern and fair parent, Bitcoin is basically laying down the law and telling politicians, central bankers and economists, stop stealing from your brothers and sisters. I don't want to hear your justifications. If some economist has a wonderful opinion about how much more money should be printed, his opinion doesn't matter to Bitcoin. If another one says he's got a better idea for how we should use energy, it doesn't matter to Bitcoin. The leader of some country might be of the opinion that citizens should surrender more of their wealth to him. Doesn't matter to Bitcoin. A central bank chairman might have the opinion that the cost of borrowing money should double. This does not matter one bit to Bitcoin. In Bitcoin, all those leaders' opinions don't matter. So now we've got a fair level playing field. We've got rules that apply to everyone, rules that don't change. And even though our opinions don't matter, that's okay. Not just okay, shit, that's great. That's great because nobody else's opinions matter either. So I don't have to worry about what their opinions are. In fact, I don't have to care about the fact that they don't care about my opinions. What a load off my shoulders this whole thing is. I can finally stop worrying about other people's opinions. Sure, I might want to hear their opinions, but it won't matter or it won't be because I'm worried that their opinions might lead to some policy that would hurt me. So I can just chill and reply to it just like the dude in the Big Lebowski did when he said, well, that's just like your opinion, man. That's the, end of, that's the end of the opinion piece. And I love that it's an opinion piece about how your opinion doesn't make a one wit. You know, it's not, it, your opinion is not the square root of F all where it comes to Bitcoin. And this is a reminder to people like Wendy Rogers out of Arizona that her opinion on going into shit coinery really doesn't matter because the fact of the matter is Bitcoin's going to rule them all and we're all going to be masters of energy and we're going to feed this beast because this beast who doesn't give one shit about our opinion is actually going to do more good for us than any other beast we've ever seen ever. Central Bank of Jordan reveals CBDC plan. Fun fact before we begin, the King of Jordan uh, had a un, an uncredited cameo role in one episode of Bitcoin or Bitcoin Star Trek, the next generation. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I didn't. Well, I mean, I knew that like as of a few years ago, but I didn't know that before. Apparently the King of Jordan is such a huge Trekkie fan that he asked to be on the show and he flew to the, uh, wherever they're filming it. I, I assume somewhere out there in, in Hollywood, uh, I believe it was the Paramount studios. And they put him in a uniform and they let him have a cameo role. And nobody knew. Nobody knew it was King Abdullah II, the King of Jordan. 
So let's see what their their uh, central bank is doing. Central Bank of Jordan uh, has revealed that it is researching researching issuing a digital currency. The central bank digital currency would be linked to the Jordanian dinar and have legal standing. Adel al Shakris, the governor of the CBJ, has reportedly stated that his institution is researching the option of creating a legal digital currency. He also predicted that cryptocurrency trading might eventually be permitted in Jordan once the appropriate legislation is in place. He said, quote, with regards to the plans to issue a Jordanian digital currency, a study is underway to develop a legal digital currency linked to the Jordanian dinar. It is possible in the future to allow cryptocurrency trading after enacting the legislation and regulations, end quote. Per the report, Sharkis comments were made during a meeting dedicated to discussing digital currencies. The comments followed Jordan's lower house economic and investment committee chairman, Kahir Abu Salik's warnings about the dangers of cryptocurrency trading. At the meeting, officials are reported to have discussed the form of regulation that would be required to protect investors from such dangers. And they also talked about launching a licensed cryptocurrency trading platform. The CBJ governor reportedly argued that Jordan banned cryptocurrency trading to protect investors from fraudulent crypto investment schemes. He mentioned China and four other Arab countries have imposed similar bans. Jordan has now joined the select club of countries that have either begun or are exploring CBDC development. According to the data from the Atlantic Council, as of June 9th, or June, good Lord, June 2019, 91 nations are currently working on their sovereign digital currency, with just 14 having reached the pilot phase. Per the data, nine nations have already implemented a CBDC. So Jordan looks like they're going to get into the realm of shitcoinery themselves. We'll have to see how all this uh, CBDC stuff goes. But if you're going to end up using a CBDC, you're going to end up a slave because it is it is not money. It's surveillance. It's just surveillance as a currency. And as you move that currency around, your surveillance is insured because the currency is the surveillance and the surveillance is the currency. Don't use it. Don't accept it. You're going to have to fight it. And the best tool that we have in our tool bag is Bitcoin. India proposes a 30% tax on crypto income, announces digital rupee launch. Andrew Asmakov has this one for Decrypt. The government of India revealed on Tuesday that it would be launching a digital rupee and start taxing income from crypto. In her budget 2022 presentation, Indian Finance Minister Nirmala said that the Reserve Bank of India will introduce a central bank digital currency in the next financial year. A CBDC is a digital version of a fiat currency issued by a central bank. Yes, we know. And several countries around the world have currently researched the benefits of having their own CBDCs, with China being in the advanced stages of implementing its digital yuan. According to the introduction of a CBDC, quote, will give a boost to the digital economy, leading to a more efficient and cheaper currency management system. Yeah, you mean surveillance system. You spelled that wrong. The minister added that the blockchain and other digital technologies will be used by the RBI to issue the digital rupee, and she did not specify further details. Additionally, India plans to introduce a 30% tax on any income made on cryptocurrencies with no deductions or exemptions. Quote, no deductions in respect of any expenditure or allowance shall be allowed while computing such income except cost of acquisition. Per the minister's proposal, the gifting of virtual digital assets is also to be taxed at the hand of the recipient while loss from transfer of digital assets cannot be offset against any other income. God dang, man. In other words, investors won't be able to show losses occurred in, or incurred due to price drops or hacking incidents to offset taxation on profits. <laughs> this is freaking silly. Reacting to the news, Nichelle Shetty, founder and CEO of local crypto exchange Wirezix, stated that today's announcement brings clarity on crypto taxation and is yet another step towards positive crypto regulations. Former finance secretary Subhash Chandra Garg was, however, reserved in his judgment on the initiative. He pointed to the fact that the Indian government plans to tax crypto despite failing to adopt the proposed cryptocurrency and regulation of official digital currency bill of 2021. 
Included in the legislative agenda for the winter session in November last year, that bill sought to establish a framework for issuance of the digital rupee while also proposing to prohibit all private cryptocurrencies. According to GARG, the proposed 30% tax on crypto income would mean that the party will be over for crypto assets and exchanges. He added that the digital rupee announcement is more formal. The RBI has neither prepared nor tested its model, and there's no indication of enabling the law. Meanwhile, commenting on the stated use of blockchain technology for the RBI's digital currency, Mudit Gupta, a New Delhi-based blockchain security researcher and Ethereum developer, suggested that it will be a new proof-of-authority blockchain with mandatory KYC. POA, they actually have it, proof of authority, uh, parentheses, POA, in parentheses. My God almighty, these people are just draconian. POA is a blockchain algorithm delivering comparatively fast transactions through a consensus mechanism based on users' identity. Quote, I don't expect there to be smart contracts on it yet, just a Bitcoin-like chain, wrote Gupta, adding that strict KYC requirements will make it impossible to launch the digital rupee as a token on the Ethereum blockchain. Oh my God. Okay, there's two things about this whole thing. First up, I've never seen a country as large as India be so wishy-washy on a single aspect. They have been going back and forth as to whether to ban cryptocurrency, to legalize cryptocurrency, and regulate cryptocurrency more times than I can count. I want to say it's been, we are now on, this is now the sixth time that they flip-flopped since 2015, but I'm not exactly sure. The second thing is these regulations all but prohibit cryptocurrency trading. So, which it's not that I'm good with it, it's that I don't give a shit because I don't trade and I don't think people should be trading because 99.97% of all this shit is completely and utterly worthless. It's just pure speculation and there's no actual usage of, of any of this stuff. All you need is actually Bitcoin. So I I don't really care what India does at this point. It it seems clear that they don't like their population. And and I'm saying this from the standpoint that yes, I acknowledge that I, I don't like cryptocurrency trading, but let people do what they're gonna do. I'm not going to to force my friends not to trade Dogecoin. I'll advise them against it and say you shouldn't be doing that. But I'm not going to defriend them because they are. I'm not going to tell them I'm going to come to your house and, I don't know, tie you up and hold you for ransom because you traded some shitcoin. I'm not going to do that. If that is what they want to do with their money and their time, it is theirs to do. And I have nothing to do with it. I wish governments would think like this, but sadly, they are never going to think like this. MicroStrategy buys the dip. <clears throat> An additional $25 million worth of Bitcoin is now in the hands of Michael Saylor. Yes, he's been buying all of your coin. This is Coindesk, and it is written by Michael Bush, uh, Bellucci and Jamie Crawley. Uh, the company paid an average price of $37,865 per Bitcoin. Tyson's Corner, Virginia-based MicroStrategy, now holds a total of 125,051 Bitcoin, valued at about $4.8 billion at the current Bitcoin price of $38,700. Uh, let's see, shares of MicroStrategy have fallen around 34% over the last month. And the CEO, uh, Michael Saylor, has been insistent that the company has no plans to sell its Bitcoin holdings and is in it for the long term. So another $25 million worth of Bitcoin off the market. And another solo Bitcoin miner solves a valid block, becoming the fourth this year. Holy shit. I don't know what's going on at CK Pool, but it seems a little weird. Cointelegraph Joseph Hall tells us about it. Hopium is back on the menu for solo Bitcoin miners. An approximately $240,000 reward or 6.25 BTC was generated by yet another solo miner on Tuesday morning. This time, the odds were less than 20%, according to Khan Kolovas, a Bitcoin software engineer and administrator for CK Pool, whose name takes his initials. It's the fourth block find for the CK Pool since January the 11th. Uh, Kolovas tweeted his congratulations to the miner who joins the ranks of the few and fortunate successful solo BTC miners. The plucky miner belongs to the solo CK pool 
the service that offers anonymous solo Bitcoin mining with a fee. At 1.14 petahashes per second, the miner is considered a whale miner with a considerable hash rate for one single entity. So number four, solo block mined by the same pool. I, I, I don't know. Um, I was speculating why it was that a, so, a quote unquote solo pool would, uh, why you, if you're gonna mine, and you're going to mine in a solo pool, then why not just mine all by yourself? And it was Marty Bent who had the best answer for that that I've heard is that you would join a pool because the pool would be responsible for the block construction and have all the templates needed to ensure that you were going to get a good shot at being able to uh, have that block template passed off uh, as, as valid. So that makes sense. From that standpoint, I can see it. But, but man, this is just, this is just odd. So maybe, maybe all this really is, is just CK pool doing marketing. Are they doing this on purpose? Are they somehow or another like giving a a block to somebody? And I kind of, I don't think so. I don't think that's possible. I think they are actually mining the mining a solo block. And since CK pool, to my knowledge, is the only quote unquote solo pool that's out there, then it kind of stands to reason that their guys are going to start getting, you know, that your guys are going to start getting blocks. Because even in a massive pool, uh, it's like slush pool, and there's hundreds, you know, let's say tens of thousands of miners that are like individual miners and they're all over the world and they're connecting to slush pool and slush pool provides them the block templates. Yet when a solo mine, when, when a block is solved, it's not solved by all of them, all the miners in conjunction. It's solved by one machine owned by one miner that is part of slush pool, but you're never going to know who that miner is. And it looks to me like CK pool is able to figure out who the miner is and sing their praises on social media. And it's great for marketing because now people are going to look at CK pool going, well, fuck, I want to win a block all by myself and keep it all to myself. It's a marketing using human greed and it's working for them. I'll bet you my ass that it's working for them. And it looks like how, how does it work for them? (laughs) More miners join their pool and therefore they get more fees. There you go. It's not all that, all that hard. Uh, let's see. Do we have time to do this one? Yeah, we do. Uh, a future where we work from home and get paid in Bitcoin. Bitcoin Magazine's Frankie Wallace. Your business lets employees work from home. It also continues to seek out ways to empower its remote workforce like never before. And to achieve your goal, you may want to consider compensating your remote personnel with Bitcoin. Bitcoin has created a new reality for businesses, and there are many reasons why your company should embrace BTC as payment for the remote employees. First, BTC promises sovereignty. This is due in large part to the fact that BTC lets individuals maintain their own identities and opt into the financial system that aligns with their personal interests. In the past, people have been regulated exclusively, or sorry, people have been relegated exclusively to receipt of cash as compensation for work. With BTC, you can give your remote employees an alternative to to traditional fiat currencies. These types of options show that you care about your employees' preference and that yours is a forward-facing company, agile and ready to adopt new solutions and technologies that can benefit its workforce. This can lead to increased satisfaction across your remote workforce. It may help your business avoid staffing issues and bolster its talent recruitment and retention levels as well. Bitcoin also brings businesses and the remote workers closer to justice. By offering Bitcoin as compensation for remote employees, you can give these workers the opportunity to choose a currency built on proof of work in lieu of proof of proximity. As a result, your workers can receive BTC compensation and take a stand against the Federal Reserve and others that exploit clout chasing, excess, and vanity over virtue. Before you offer Bitcoin to your remote workers, learn as much as you can about the cryptocurrency. Ultimately, your business will need to consider the Fair Labor Standards Act and provide BTC in accordance with it. You must also comply with state-specific laws. Nevertheless, if your business provides BTC as compensation to its remote staff, you can do so in multiple ways. 
You can pay a remote worker their entire paycheck in BTC. In this instance, you can send a BTC payment to the employee's crypto wallet at regular intervals, such much in the same way you may have once provided the worker with direct deposits of cash. Comparatively, you can still pay a remote employee in money and have some or all of the worker's paycheck converted to BTC. The exchange rate of the US dollar to BTC fluctuates. As such, this creates risk for workers since that they receive in BTC in one paycheck won't necessarily match what they get in the next one. You must also understand that tax ramifications associated with providing cryptocurrencies as employee compensation. If you pay remote workers directly in BTC, you are technically compensating them in property based on IRS guidelines. Meanwhile, the fair market value of BTC is subject to payroll taxes. Thus, it must be reported on IRS form the W-2. Furthermore, there are cybersecurity concerns associated with any type of digital transfer in today's world, and that includes BTC payments. You must ensure that the Bitcoin is distributed to remote staff with security as top of mind. It often helps to establish a crypto payment system built with keys and seeds. The system ensures employee compensation remains confidential and safe. Keep in mind that cyber attacks are evolving as well. Thus, the payment system you implement must be audited and updated regularly, and this ensures your system remains secure now and off into the future. Bitcoin represents the future of the metaverse and more. If you want to provide BTC payments to remote personnel, you need to plan accordingly. That way, you can offer BTC compensation options without putting your business or its remote workers at risk. If you are considering BTC as compensation for remote employees, reach out to these workers for feedback. You can conduct employee questionnaires and surveys to examine workers' interest in BTC and determine whether it's a viable option for your staff. Moreover, take appropriate measures relative to become or Bitcoin compensation. Your company must do everything in its power to ensure BTC payments are distributed properly and in alignment with myriad rules and regulations. Education can also play a key role in the success of providing BTC as remote worker compensation. When offering BTC as compensation, establish a training program to teach employees about Bitcoin. Create tools and resources and make them easily accessible to workers who want to learn about BTC. And this ensures a worker can weigh the pros and cons of BTC as compensation and that they can then make an informed decision about whether to move forward with BTC for payments. Bitcoin for remote workers can make a world of difference for your business. If you are considering BTC for remote staff, get started. Get information about BTC and continue to track the Bitcoin market. Check in with your remote workers to gauge their interest in BTC as compensation as well. From here, you can develop and implement a system to provide remote workers with confidential and safe BTC payments. You can then optimize this system and ensure it meets the needs of your business and remote staff. Frankie Wallace, again, for Bitcoin Magazine. And my question to Frankie is, why just remote workers? Why not your contract employees that work on site? That I mean, you can do it too. You can do that as well. I I'm just saying. I mean, I I get why the the focus on remote workers, but be that as it may, you can still do the same thing with on-site workers as well. But you would have to understand all the same thing that it, that's in this Bitcoin magazine piece would apply there too. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. Asked my wife why she bought fake crap for the bathroom. She asked me, do you mean the shampoo? Get it? Sham? Much like all the shit coins. Again, uh, give, was it Kathy Rogers? Uh, who the hell was that? Let's see if I can even find it again. Uh, Wendy Rogers of Arizona. Make sure that you let her know that if she travels the path of shit coinery, wreckage is in her future. That is at... Wendy Rogers, AZ, all one word, Wendy Rogers, AZ, uh, honestly, man, save her. She's about to go over the cliff. Also, if you want to support the show and some of the stuff that I do, if you'd like to support me in fiat currency, you can do that over at uh, Patreon. Bitcoin and podcast is my Patreon page. And if you find it, uh, you can sign up and, uh, and help me keep the show afloat. 
My favorite way is Podcasting 2.0. If you don't know about Podcasting 2.0, please go and search about Podcasting 2.0. The name of the game is Adam Curry, who used to be, I first knew of Adam Curry as he was hired as one of the very first uh, MTV VJs, also known as video jockeys, back in the mid-80s. Uh, he had really long hair, and now he doesn't. But, I mean, he was sort of like, I guess he represented the glam band thing back then. Um, MTV was so raw back in the day, and, and, and it just, it was too bad. It had about, MTV had a good seven-year run before it turned into complete and total shit. In either event, Adam Curry is the pod father, and he is pushing, uh, actually, Podcasting 2.0 is his baby, him and a few friends of his and they're the ones that are developing it. They're the ones that are pushing it, but it allows you to transfer me sats directly to my lightning node while listening to this podcast. And you can do that through apps such as Sphinx Chat app, Fountain app, and the Breeze wallet. Uh, instead of a podcasting app having a wallet included in it, Breeze is a wallet that has a podcasting app included with it. You see this, which way this is going. This is going to be a value for value world in the next five to 10 years and everything from streaming a movie to a podcast to a song to using your favorite piece of software on your computer is going to be value for value. And those that do not learn it now are gonna have to learn it later. And I guarantee you it's much better to learn something now then later, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.